Public education is essential for democracy to work. It's no surprise the Trumpists are trying to end public education. No exaggeration. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. I was so naive back in the hopeful 1960s. I imagined public education would be the highest policy priority in the 21st century. Well, it suddenly is a big issue across the country, but instead of boosting education, there's a powerful drive by Republicans to actually end public education altogether. I'm not exaggerating. It's one of the tools the far right is using to take over the United States. One effective tool so far has been packing the courts to circumvent the normal electoral process. And now they're waging a full-blown cultural war and yet another way to skirt the normal political process in their drive for authoritarian power. When former President Trump said, I love the uneducated, that was no mere off-the-cuff remark. It was the signal of a new level of attacks on public education. The current very tight race for governor of Virginia has been transformed away from issues of politics to the Republican candidate claiming the government is making war on parents. Of course, this is visceral, and that is the core of its appeal. It's not rational at all. The right wing, which now owns the Republican Party, seeks to redefine education from enabling young people to think critically and learn skills to an insistence that the correct role of public education is to instill their vision of moral values on all children. It used to be churches doing that, but the focus of the right today is to replace a Republican form of government with a religious nationalism. And attacking public education is integral to that goal. And it seems not just, it's picking up steam, seems to be, but maybe not picking up steam. Our guest today is Catherine Joyce, whose recent article in The New Republic is titled, Republicans don't want to reform public education, they want to end it. And the subtitle is Florida's recent struggles over masks in schools augur a terrifying shift in the right's approach to education policy. Catherine Joyce, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Catherine Joyce is a contributing editor at The New Republic and author of The Child Catchers, Rescue, Trafficking, and the New Gospel of Adoption. Well, public education, funded by taxpayers, is a cornerstone of the American Republic. Thomas Jefferson said, democracy cannot long exist without enlightenment, that it cannot function without wise and honest officials, that talent and virtue needed in a free society should be educated regardless of wealth, birth, or other accidental condition. The other children of the poor must thus be educated at common expense. That's from Thomas Jefferson. By the year 1870, every state had tax-subsidized elementary school. 
In the mid-20th century, there was intense interest in schools supporting the innate creativity of children. And in Brazil, educator Paulo Freire was the enemy of dictatorship. He was all about bringing education to the masses to have real democracy. Fast forward to Trump's education secretary, Betsy DeVos, whose anti-education agenda was not a secret. Florida and now Virginia are frightening test cases for the entire country. Well, again, thanks for being with us, Catherine Joyce. Your article puts a lot of focus on the Florida governor and 2024 presidential wannabe, Ron DeSantis. He is, as some would say, crazy like a fox. He championed the anti-mask movement across the country and has recently morphed that sentiment to attacks on schools. What is his position on masks and how does he blend that into public education? Thanks so much, Bert, and thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, well, I think Governor DeSantis uh, really um, came into the, the national spotlight on this issue starting in at the very end of July. Uh, Florida school year starts in mid-August, and so just a, a couple of weeks before that, um, there was there was one um, school district, one of the largest school districts in Florida, Broward County, that had initially passed uh, a mask mandate for for returning students amid the start of what we have now seen has been a very deadly wave of the the Delta variant of COVID. Um, And very soon thereafter, DeSantis released this executive order. Um, Part of the title was ensuring parents freedom to choose, uh, saying that schools, uh, their schools were not permitted to to require masks, that mask mandates were banned, um, and that this was all kind of in accordance uh, with Florida Republican stance on parental rights. Um, so he he has kind of really, um, you know, a lot of people thought overstepped his bounds there. Traditionally, um, the way school districts are run is, you know, these are elected officials on the school board who make the, the decisions for their local community. That is also, you know, putatively the conservative position on, you know, local government and local authority, that, that local communities should be allowed to make regulations that best serve their community by people who are closest to it. So a lot of people were saying this is this is not just scientifically, you know, terrible and and dangerous for our students and our staff but also this is a violation of you know this supposed conservative conservative principle on on local authority um and and so when other school districts uh responded um not by you know getting rid of their their mask mandates um but by actually instituting them um another large school district followed very soon after so now there were two two big school districts um, saying, no, we are going to have these mask mandates. Um, and then it, it just sort of snowballed. Um, at this point, there are, you know, there have been well over a dozen um, that cover more than half of the students in, in Florida public schools. So I think that that was, that was one way that this got entangled in public schools. But another way was sort of the enforcement mechanism in that executive order, uh, which empowered the Florida the Department of Education um, to levy fines, basically, on oh. school districts that didn't comply, um, allowing them to withhold state funds that are targeted for those districts uh, because they are 
out of alignment with this executive order. Absolutely amazing. Nothing like democracy here. Uh, boy, just uh, letting it all top down and that phrase, ensuring parents' freedom to choose. Who could be against that, right? I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all about selling it. You know, I mean, uh, President Trump knew that uh, ratings, selling, that's what it's all about. Never mind the good of the people. What about his policy shows what you call a terrifying shift in the right's approach to education policy? Well, I think, um, I think it's two things. Um, you know, I think for a long time there was this sort of uneasy uh, coalition agreement on what kind of conservative and centrist or neoliberal positions on public education should be. And a lot of it was about kind of reform and accountability. Um, and we can get into all of that later. Um, but we've seen uh, a shift towards, towards two things. One is a more blatant attack on public schools as public schools, um, mm. as something that should exist to to serve the general public at all, and that this is kind of a common commitment that we are making as a people, that we are going to make quality schools to educate our kids, you know, no matter what their income level is. Mm. But the other part of that also is this thematic shift to the idea of parents' rights uh, yes. being kind of the be-all and end-all in public education i you know your you and your listeners may have seen uh, just in the last week i think it was that mike pompeo put out a tweet saying you know i think parents should determine what is taught in school um you know i think that the same argument is is being made um during the the virginia race uh right now that has become a, a huge part of it i mean across the country we have been seeing these really dramatic, raucous, sometimes even violent confrontations at school board meetings where parents, um, or sometimes not parents, sometimes not even people from that district, but people kind of whipped up about um, mask mandates or vaccine requirements or what they think critical race theory is, right. um, coming in to to make, you know, really strong demands on the school board that they basically comply with what that that parent or that advocacy group um, believes is is how the school should be run. Um, so we're seeing that sort of shift in, in a lot of different ways on health, on in terms of curriculum and what can be taught. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a shift with uh, a lot of implications that I think are pretty scary for public education. Indeed, yes. Yeah. Some of us really like public education and like, uh, you know, the fact that we have a republic of the people and agree with Thomas Jefferson that you have to have an educated populace to have a functioning democracy. And they don't like that. And Virginia, Republicans in Virginia are making the schools the focus of their final push to capture the governor's office. That race is November 2nd. In that tight race, they've been staging Parents Matter rallies. What a great marketing tool. The Republican Glenn Youngkin and his strategists believe that in, in the fights roiling schools, as you said, sometimes even violently, they've discovered the rare issue that can galvanize their voters, even in places that are shifting the state to the left. Youngkin recently said, McAuliffe would side, Terry McAuliffe, the uh, Democratic nominee, McAuliffe would side with government over parents, and that this is 
no longer a campaign. This is a movement. It's a movement led by parents. Tell us, please, about this so-called Parents' Bill of Rights and the potential power of its appeal and these Parents' Matter rallies. Sure. So the Parents' Bill of Rights, um, it was in Florida, uh, which is, you know, what I focused on, but I I would not be surprised to see, you know, copies of this bill um, pop up elsewhere as well. But this was passed just this past spring um, by, you know, Florida conservatives, Florida Republicans. It it basically it's a bill that doesn't do anything new in some ways. It's it's just collecting a number of rights that that parents already certainly had by law you know, covered in, in many other statutes um, or in the Florida Constitution. Um, but basically it says, you know, parents have the right to direct their children's health care, their education and their moral upbringing. Um, interestingly, the bill was co-authored by this Florida school board member uh, who is a very interesting character herself. She is the wife of the vice chair of Florida's Republican Party, for one. Um, she's also the co-founder of an anti-mask and anti-vaccine mandate parents group that has been protesting school board meetings around the state and to some extent around the country kind of Mm. showing up and having these like being being part of that really vitriolic presence at school board meetings um so so this woman helped write um this parents bill of rights which you know, people were pretty concerned about. Um, people were concerned. You know, is is this going to leave schools liable? Um, you know, to la- lawsuits if you know a, a child gets hurt in an emergency situation and requires you know some sort of emergency medical decisions to be made about their care. You know, I mm. think you know those those sorts of things. I'm not sure whether or not you know those those fears um, are actually something that. Uh, is likely to happen. But we did see this get used very directly just a couple months after it was passed uh, with DeSantis's executive order, um, which, you know, he tied directly to Florida's new parents bill of rights saying, you know, this is this is in keeping with what we just passed. Uh, We need to enshrine um, parents rights here and ensure that, you know, they are able to make all of the medical decisions for their children. All of the medical decisions, and sometimes, you know, kids do get hurt in schools. Children don't always behave as we would like them to behave, and sometimes <laughs> time is really important. And I can imagine, you know, being the school administration and the teachers, feeling like their hands are tied, and the, the, the legal requirements there got to be kind of frightening to them as to, to how this could turn out. And I do find it interesting that bullying does happen. And the mask issue has kind of morphed into uh, some of the parents saying, well, my kid doesn't want to wear a mask. I tell him or her, don't wear a mask. And if there's any kind of pressure on him or her to wear a mask, that could be seen rather conveniently as bullying. How, how does this, I mean, it's, it, Teachers and administration, you know, they, they don't like to permit bullying in the school. How does that play out in this situation, do you think? Yeah, well, that was um, that was part of the response um, to these school districts defying DeSantis's executive order and instituting mask mandates 
even if it ended up costing them some state funds. Um, so one of the sort of sticks that uh, the DeSantis administration was using was we will withhold the salaries of your school board members um, until you abide by this executive order, mm. um, which is not a, a terribly you know, large amount of money um, for for. I think some of the school districts, it would, you know, probably amount to thirty to forty thousand dollars per month. Um, a lot by your and my standards, not a lot in the kind of big picture of what school budgets are. But another thing that the the Florida Education Board passed um, was an expansion of this existing school voucher. Uh, that is meant to help students who have been bullied, um, legitimately bullied, right. to transfer to another school and, you know, find find a fresh start there and and be able to receive an education without being bullied. Sure. Um, and so in August, um, you know, as this whole controversy was unfolding, uh, Florida's administration said, you know what, we're going to open this up to any children who are bullied or harassed um, by by mask rules in their their districts. So we were going to give them this money uh, to allow them to go find another place um, where they can uh, educate their kid uh, without having to, to be subjected to mask mandates. Um, so, you know, I think that that is, you know, just rhetorically, it's, it's quite a stretch. Um, but what it also does, um, and, and one of the things that I spoke to people a lot about um, was the idea that both of these measures amounted to defunding public yes. education in one way or another, whether it's stripping salaries of the school board uh, officials who, who spend an awful lot of time. I mean, it is a part-time job, but they spend a lot of time directing school matters, especially in large districts. And, you know, then in terms of the vouchers, you know, every time uh, somebody is receiving one of those vouchers, it yes. is taking state funds out of school districts that are meant to, you know, be serving the entire community. Absolutely. And this is, this has been going on for quite some time. And I can tell you as a, as a former state senator here in New Hampshire, it's been going on for a while. Vouchers, magnet schools, charter mm. schools, school choice. It's all about taking public funding and taking it away from public schools and setting it into private, oftentimes religious schools, which, as far as I can tell, is unconstitutional to use public funding for religious institutions. But these things are happening across the country. What are the arguments for and against such educational changes? What's their, their argument for it? Do they claim it's for better education? I suppose they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the the whole push for quote unquote school choice um, has been going on for a long time now. You know, for at least the past couple of decades, um, you can trace some of that also back to Florida. Um, Jeb Bush, when he was the governor, kind of inaugurated a number of uh, these kind of ingredients to what became kind of the bipartisan education reform coalition. Um, but a, a big part of this was parents should have the choice uh, to choose where their kids go to school um, and to withdraw them from from failing public schools. So there was kind of a big push on the idea that, uh, you know, 
public schools were really underserving um, kids, uh, particularly um, marginalized kids, kids of color, low-income kids. So in an interesting way, um, what what started, I think, very much as a conservative push to, you know, find ways to take public dollars and, you know, direct them towards private schools ended up getting this sort of veneer of being uh, a civil rights issue as well, that you're not just going to relegate, um, you know, poor kids or kids of color to going to, you know, these terrible public schools while, you know, the, the wealthy suburban school across town um, is is just fine for, for the, the parents who can afford to live there. I mean, I think that there is mm. some truth to that. Um, right. But, you know, a lot of it has to do with how schools get funded by taxes in the first place. So, you know, there are kind of broader structural things to look at when you think about that. Um, but the whole way that kind of vouchers got tied in with this education reform coalition was through the idea um you know, advanced, you know, one of the first champions of it was, was Jeb Bush, um, that, you know, we needed school accountability, teacher accountability, um, and that we were going to get that through high stake, high stakes testing, um, you know, so year end standardized tests that, you know, teachers would have to spend many weeks, uh, preparing students to take. And then the outcomes of those tests would be used to assess, both the the skill um, and kind of the accomplishment of the the teacher uh, individually um, who was responsible for those students, but then for the school as a whole. And so schools, in addition to the high stakes testing, schools began receiving these A to F school grades. Mm-hmm. So you could have an A school that's that's doing great, and then you could have an F school um, that you know is is said to be not doing good whatsoever. Um, and, you know, from there, that ended up serving sort of as as a lever, either kind of mm-hmm. a, a push or a pull towards privatized education. Um, one of the people who I quoted in my piece uh, was the education commissioner of Florida, yes. um, a, a deeply conservative Republican who really made his name attacking teachers unions. Um, so he's kind of had a chip on his shoulder about public education for a long while. Um, but when he went and spoke at Hillsdale College, uh, oh, a really conservative um, school in Michigan that has some ties to Betsy DeVos, uh, he was talking about, you know, what he and the DeSantis administration had managed to accomplish in Florida um, in terms of education. And he, he talked specifically about that point, saying, you know, the biggest thing that we did to advance the cause of, quote unquote, school choice um, was to institute, uh, you know, these these school grades that, right. you know, then parents who might have been generally satisfied with their kids' schools, thinking that everything is great, you know, liking the teachers and the principal, um, then suddenly if they get told, actually, your kid is going to a D school or an F school, um, sure. you know, suddenly, understandably, that is very alarming. Yeah. You know, parents all you know, want the best for their kids. They want their kids to have, you know, the tools to have a good chance at, at succeeding in life. And so if they're told, actually, no, your, your kid is stuck in an F school. Um, but here you can have, you know, this voucher for a few thousand dollars and take it somewhere else and take your kid out of that school. So that kind of, it drove um, demand 
for school choice. It drove parents into deciding that was something that they wanted. Yes. Yes, it pushes them. And uh, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about education. And our guest today is Catherine Joyce, uh, who's written an article in the New Republic uh, called... Uh, Republicans don't want to reform public education. They want to end it. And I know from my own experience that the amount of money in vouchers is nowhere near enough to pay. I mean, if, if you're a low-income family, if you get a voucher, it's nowhere near enough to pay for funding a kid to private school. It just, it, it, it's absurd. It's like $2,000 or something like that. And that's just nowhere near enough. And I wonder how Republicans got from there to here. Back in 1983, there was the National Commission on Edu Excellence in Education, and they issued a report titled A Nation at Risk. Soon afterward, genuine conservatives, not right-wingers, but conservatives were calling for an increase in academic rigor, including an increase in the number of school days per year, longer school days, and higher testing standards. You write that Trading in the decades-old, substantially bipartisan education reform agenda, a formula that was born in Florida, again under Bush, I believe, uh, he's mustering, DeSantis is mustering a naked attack on the very existence of public schools. So how do we get from there with Republicans demanding better public education to here? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I mean, I'll start off by, by saying that a number of the education experts who I spoke to have agreed that this old coalition, um, which included, you know, conservative school choice advocates um, and, you know, centrists who are kind of had this technocratic focus on um, we need to, to find ways uh, to really rigorously assess um, how schools are doing. And then, you know, some more center left or, or liberal um, perspectives that saw the issue of school choice and kind of improving school choice or <laughs> improving public education as, you know, something that was related to, to civil rights and making sure that, um, you know, poor school districts are not being, you know, totally left behind. That, that was always um, a pretty uneasy coalition. Um, uh. mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. And I remember the, the, the title was uh, very attractive, No Child Left Behind. But then after a <laughs> while, yeah, and that, that was the title. And we are talking about the, the grading of the schools, et cetera, was a part of that. And eventually there was kind of a broad coalition of left and right saying, hey, this is not good. This is not helping education. And yeah. They, but they don't, they don't want that. And I, I wonder what their agenda is. I mean, their big overall agenda. Is it just simply part of and parcel of the long-term goal of, of replacing a republic with an authoritarian government? I mean, you know, you, you can't have democracy, really, without educated people. And, and you know, when Trump said, uh, I love the uneducated, what, what's their long-term goal, do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, so education experts I spoke to have basically said, yes, like what you just said, like this coalition, this bipartisan coalition has broken down. And to some extent, we're not sure what's coming next. Some of the education experts who I spoke to, though, have look at this as part of a 
a just a longer standing um, multifaceted attack on public education. Uh, one of the people who I spoke to, um, Andrew Spar, is the president of uh, I think the largest union right. in Florida, and it's the the Florida Education uh, Educators Association. And you know, he said, um, if if you just look at the fact that uh, you know. DeSantis's executive order banning mask mandates, it only applies to public schools. It does not apply to charter schools. It does not uh, apply to private schools. Oh um, it, it, it's something that kind of makes you realize like, oh, you know, there there might be a, a bigger issue at stake here. Like this might be a broader attack on public education. And certainly, you know, when when the the, uh, the state education department moved to withhold funds from districts that imposed their mask mandates, mask mandates anyway, um, you know there was this outcry among Democrats that this is DeSantis, you know, finally going ahead and defunding public education. He's been trying to do this for for years now. Um, so I think you know they see all of these things. Um, as well as others, you know, DeSantis has really involved himself in some of the, the culture war issues yes. that, that surround schools as well. Um, he has, you know, threatened to fire kind of huge chunks of teachers who were trying to rally for increased funding for public schools. You know, he his administration has inserted itself into individual school districts you know, assessments of charter schools um, that might be underperforming um, and and said, you know, we're going to withhold your your public funds unless you either justify this decision or or turn it around, reverse it. So in all of these things, I think a lot of education experts are are seeing this as a broader attack on on public education, that all of the things that you can do, to destabilize public education, um, to to drain it of funds, can be used in in a way um, as more impetus to to drive or pull people towards privatized alternatives. Absolutely amazing. It's just, I mean, I don't know how people can call themselves conservatives and go for something like that. What the heck are they? It's not conserving anything. Oh my goodness! And of course, we've all heard about critical race theory. And people on the right are all up in arms about critical race theory. As it turns out, it doesn't apply under, you know, K through 12 at all. But they they don't want people learning about history, which says a lot about what they're for. If you don't, I mean, how proud can you be of your history if you don't want people learning about it? But it's it, indoctrination. That's a term that's that's resonated with a lot of parents, I think, in recent years. The right wing has attacked colleges for allowing left-leaning professors to teach. Imagine that. Huh. As you write, DeSantis <laughs> signed a bill requiring Florida's public universities to survey faculty and staff about their political beliefs in the claimed interest of ensuring that students aren't indoctrinated on campus. The bill was accompanied by vague threats from DeSantis to defund schools that demonstrate an in an insufficient, quote, intellectual diversity. And there's also a push to require candidates for school board to run under party affiliations. What the heck is going on here? Yeah, I mean, I think that the first part, um, this idea of um, ensuring 
intellectual diversity on, on campuses. I mean, I think that is, you know, pretty transparent code for we want to make sure that, right. um, you know, there are more conservative perspectives among, you know, not just among faculty, among uh, students as well. I mean, that's the part that is um, seems kind of novel and, and new is that they're not just holding this, uh, this standard up uh, about instructors, but actually about the people who are in being instructed and who are paying to be there. Um, so that's shocking to me in the first place. But um, you know, DeSantis has and his administration have gone after critical race theory in a couple of different ways. Um, they recently uh, released a new civics education initiative um, that's going to you know cost $106 million uh, that... Whoa. You know, bans any discussion of "quote unquote" Marxist critical race theory. Um, in June, the the State Board of Education prohibited any instruction that defines American history as something other than the creation of a new nation based largely on universal principles stated in the Declaration of Independence. Um, which you know may sound kind of benign, but hmm. the way that is worded is, you know, very much. Um, a, a ban on any materials that draw from the 1619 project, yes. the, which, you know, the, the New York Times educational project, which, you know, tries to put American history in the larger context of slavery and the really foundational role that it played. Um, so they are, you know, without, without naming it, they are directly going after that. But then this, this new move um, to, to inject partisan politics yes. into school board elections is also really interesting. Um, so in the spring, around the time DeSantis was, was you know, making these arguments about critical race theory, um, he also vowed, I'm, I'm going to get the Florida political apparatus involved, he said, in school board elections, which since 1998 have been nonpartisan by law. Um, school board candidates cannot run as Republicans or Democrats or something else. They are all, you know, they are all unaffiliated officially, even though obviously some are coming from more conservative or liberal perspectives. But DeSantis said, you know, we're going to get politics involved in these nonpartisan races, um, quote, so we can make sure there's not a single school board Republican who ever indulges in critical race theory. And then later this summer, there were two Republican state legislators who who filed a bill um, that is going to call for a ballot initiative next year in 2022 that would amend Florida's constitutions uh, to make school board uh, campaigns partisan, to require school board candidates to run under a party affiliation. And one of the authors of that bill, um, a guy named um, Spencer Roach, Representative Roach, um, said that basically this is a transparency measure. He said that parents are so outraged by the radicalism of the entrenched educational establishment. Um, and he warned that incumbent school board members are going to see a reckoning of historic proportions at the ballot box in 2022. So I think you can see from that just how how much there is a, a push around the country for, you know, taking over various aspects of local government. We're starting to see it with, you know, election commissions in a number of different states. You know, we, there have been a, 
a number of news stories recently about, you know, right wing activists running for and kind of taking over, you know, elections offices um, in their communities. And and this, I think, also, you know, it it portends a big push that we're going to see, you know, a right wing kind of reconquest of school boards around the country. I mean, you that that has already happened in some places um, in South Lake, Texas uh, school district. Um, a lot of things have happened are happening there now that this is the school district that I think just yesterday um, news came out that uh, teachers were, were going to this school board, which recently was a target of a really national push um, to, you know, with, with national figures, um, getting involved and, and saying, you know, conservatives, you can go take over these school boards, look at what South Lake did. And they elected a slate of, of conservative members. And now a lot of things are happening there in terms of teachers being very concerned about what it is that they are allowed to teach. Some teachers just went to the school board um, very recently, and this news came out yesterday, saying, you know, we have this this book that we assign um, to teach about the Holocaust. Um, and, you know, I we're scared that we're going to end up, you know, getting charged with violating some new policy by teaching this. And a school board member said on tape, um, you know, well, if you're going to do that, if you're going to teach on something that is, you know, a subject of current controversy, just make sure that you're including an opposing standpoint. Right. And the teachers were aghast. Um, what is the opposing standpoint to teaching about the Holocaust? Um, I mean, we know the answer to that. It's Holocaust denialism. Wow. And uh, I kind of like history and as well as I like democracy and knowing some history. We've seen this before. Uh, and a lot of people don't want us to learn from that history. Uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And I got to tell you, when we picked the name for this show, I had no idea democracy was going to be under such threat. We picked the name like six <laughs> years ago or something like that. Oh, my goodness. And our guest today is Catherine Joyce, uh, contributing editor at The New Republic, which also has a great history, by the way, uh, as author of The Child Catchers, Rescue Trafficking and the New Gospel of Adoption. We're discussing her new article in the New Republic titled, Republicans Don't Want to Reform Public Education, They Want to End It. And I I must tell you, I saw something that shocked me, although I suppose I shouldn't be shocked by anything these days. Uh, A parent wrote in uh, on Facebook saying, you know, education, public education interferes with my child's beliefs, and I don't want that. I just, I find that amazing. And talk about beliefs. I'm not sure how I got on their mailing list, but I keep hearing from Hillsdale College, which you mentioned earlier mm. in Michigan. Who, tell us who they are and their influence on this anti-public school agenda. Sure, sure. I mean, Hillsdale College is a really conservative um, Christian school in Michigan. It is. It's. It has ties to... Um, Betsy DeVos's family foundations. Um, obviously, she's from a very wealthy family that has done a lot of conservative philanthropy over the years. Um, mm. And so Hillsdale is uh, one of the beneficiaries of that. I believe DeVos may either be a graduate or a, one of her family members is. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't quite remember but that connection. A connection but, yeah. but there is a, you know, a personal connection there as well. 
Um, I mean, in addition to being, you know, an institution that has become sort of a, a bit of a flagship conservative institution, it, it has a presence in Washington, D.C. Um, it is a place that attracts, you know, as we saw with Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran going up there to speak last spring, and he gave this kind of really <laughs> shocking shocking speech there saying a lot of things kind of really going after um public education it it is you know a place where um a lot of conservative politicians uh will go as sort of an influence stop um it is kind of one of the places um that you would go to kind of shore up your reputation <laughs> and and talk among like like-minded people Hillsdale also um runs um and i i didn't do this reporting um this was i believe the florida phoenix a, a great all weekly um i think down in florida but they they did some digging and found that hillsdale college um actually uh played a significant role in crafting florida's mm. new civics education Ooh. um and also that it has ties to um, Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran, besides his having speaking spoken there, um, because Hillsdale also runs uh, a network of charter schools, and Corcoran's wife runs one of them in Florida. So there are kind of a lot of cross connections back and forth. But you know, the the long and the short of it is when Hillsdale was hired as an advisor and a, a consultant on crafting this new Florida civics education. Um, you know that that education curriculum came out uh, with with kind of provisions like students should be taught about the importance of the Ten Commandments um, and mm -hmm. students should be taught um, that, you know, certain forms of public protest are basically bad citizenship. Mm. Um, and obviously that that critical race theory is Marxist and that it is banned. Um, so, you know, a lot of things come with these sorts of influence. Yeah, that's impressive. All right. And it does sound so familiar, unfortunately. And I remember a few years ago, there was something that rallied the right in this part of the world anyway, Common Core. I'm not sure what it is, to be perfectly honest, but I just knew it was something that helped start the momentum uh, of the assault on public education. It was coming, they, they used it as a, a way to attack uh, public education. And one of the things that differentiates America, in theory anyway, from other uh, countries is that a, we are a republic and that education is for all. Education is for all. If you get educated, maybe you can escape poverty. We, we've long agreed that education is the key to escaping poverty. What about that? Where does that fit into this discussion? Sure. Um, well, I'm not an expert on Common Core. Um, Nor am I. I. You know, it is, it is, it is, uh, you know, it was an effort to kind of create these universal standards um, for, for public education, K-12 education, you know, students, whether they are in Texas or Maine, you know, uh -huh. should be learning X and Y things. Um, you know, I think, I, I, I don't think, um, it's not my understanding that opposition to Common Core only comes from one side of the political spectrum. True. Um, however, uh, this became, on the conservative side, a really potent cause um, back around, I think, 2013, um, 
the, the Tea Party at that time, maybe maybe 2012, but the Tea Party uh, was starting to flag. You know, it, it had kind of come together pretty soon after President Obama was elected and had, you know, kind of roaring couple of years and then um, started to become kind of disorganized, uh, you know, losing its power. Um, you know, it's kind of its particular complaints about taxation. And so it sort of needed a new issue. Um, and one of the issues that it picked up was opposing Common Core. Um, interestingly, on the grounds that it undermined local control of schools, uh, which is, a you know, an ironic kind of position to be coming from, uh, considering where we are today, when there are you know, these really blatant attacks on local control of public schools from people like Ron DeSantis saying school districts don't have the right to decide whether or not students should have to wear masks during a pandemic. And I, I do wonder, given that education is at least part of a way to escape poverty, and, you know, one thing that differentiates America from other countries, at least in theory, is that, you know, we, we are, there's supposed to be equal opportunity for all. And other countries, I mean, we had a revolution in 1776 that was about, you know, self-government, uh, a republic, and not an aristocracy, and everybody serving the interests of the, the, top, the few at the top. Uh, is there something about keeping people in poverty, do you think? I mean, can it be that crass? Well, I mean, some of the education experts who I spoke to, you know, particularly um, people who are longstanding advocates on behalf of public education. One person I spoke to is Carol Corbett Burris, um, who helps run the network for public education. Um, and she would argue that really the end game of all of these efforts to defund public schools bit by bit, you know, a little bit here by withholding um, salaries from school board members, a little bit here by giving vouchers to to kids who are bullied because they're expected to wear masks. Um, she, she told me, you know, the end game is to have an education system that the public doesn't pay for. Um, and that is then going to break down into a very stratified system. Um, rich kids will get an excellent education. Middle-class kids will, she said, probably get a decent education. Um, and then she said this kind of chilling image that has stuck with me. She said, kids that are poor and disadvantaged will sit in a big room in front of computers with somebody standing at the door keeping them in. Um, mm. Which is, you know, sounds kind of dystopian, but I also think um, sometimes is, is not terribly <laughs> far from, you know the situation that some kids might receive. And I think not necessarily in public schools, Florida, um, not to get too tangential, but Florida has had a problem um, with what are called voucher schools. These are private schools, but they are uh, cheap enough yeah. that just having a voucher will mostly pay for them. Because as you noted before, vouchers are not going to pay tuition to get you into some, you know, yeah. obviously some elite boarding school in the yeah. Northeast or even like a, a really rich and prestigious, um, you know, private school, day school um, somewhere in Florida. Uh, and so these voucher schools have sprung out, sprung up. Um, you know, some of the people who I spoke to in Florida said they have sprung up explicitly in response to demand from parents uh, 
who are exhausted by the testing regime. This, you know, the fact that public schools have to spend a month or more at the end of the year just drilling kids to get ready for these standardized tests instead of actually doing any sort of creative learning. Um, and also uh, driven out by this fear that um, your your kid is in a failing public school, and if you care about them, you have to get them out. So these voucher schools have sprung up, but some of them are so low quality right. um, that the the Orlando Sentinel, in a in a great investigation a couple of years ago, found that you know some of these voucher schools are held in aging strip malls um so just not not a real school building just some storefront in a strip mall um they some of those schools are falsifying their um you know their safety data and their health data that they have to provide to the state um and some of them are being taught by teachers who do not have degrees um so you know there is you know if if you're trying to get your kid out because you want a higher quality education and you're kind of shunted towards this here's one of the few private options that you can afford um you know you're you're really getting swindled and as you're getting Mm. swindled the the school district itself is is also being impoverished well it certainly does appear to be true that the old notion of well we don't need to educate women their roles in the kitchen and we don't need (laughs) to educate black people obviously because we don't want to (laughs) and uh it's hard to believe that that's back in fashion, but it seems to be back in fashion. And I find it interesting in your article, it shows that the, the Florida Education Commissioner said that even if the school choice agenda is overturned in the future, the damage to public schools and perhaps millions of children will have been done. What did he mean? Yeah, well, he was, um, so this was in his speech to Hillsdale, um, and he was talking about, um, you know, conservatives have had this, you know, powerful education reform movement for a while, and things like high stakes testing and school grades really got us um, to to this point where a lot of parents have, you know, newly started to doubt the capacity of public schools to provide a good education for their kids. And he was saying the next step is to quote unquote cross the Rubicon, um, which is, by the way, you know, that's an image of civil war, um, uh, to, to cross the Rubicon by getting so many uh, children to kind of have this mass exodus out of public schools um, that, you know, even if, you know, later on Ron DeSantis either is defeated or, you know, doesn't run for governor again and a, a Democratic government um that is, you know, more supportive of public education comes in, Corcoran's, uh, his, his threat or his promise seemed to be, you know, if we have already gotten, you know, I think the figure he used was a million and a half kids out of public education, Mm. you know, you will not be able to undo the effects that that has had on the public school systems, because when those kids go, they, you know, they take their little backpack of money uh, away with them and the school Mm. is left, you know, trying to serve all the remaining kids with, with fewer funds. Um, So I think, you know, the idea is that it's kind of, it's in a war of attrition and you will, you will end up winning in that way. And I just, one last thing is he, he used a really, uh, I think telling image um, 
when he talked about that, you know, he said, you can't put the animals back in the barn. Um, And I think, you know, worth worth acknowledging that the, the education commissioner is referring to students in this way. Absolutely incredible. It's it's just but at least it's open there. And, you know, it's part of. As I said in the beginning, you know, they've they've gone, the right wing has gone around the electoral system to pack the courts. And that also creates a basically permanent uh, system. You note, I mean, we I'd like to have a little bit of optimism here, I must say. You note <laughs> that the public likes public education. I think that's right. The pushback against the assault is starting to show some strength. As we near the 2022 and 2024 elections, Billy Townsend, a former Polk County School Board member who now writes a newsletter about Florida education policy, says public education is the sleeping dragon of all our politics. What does he mean by that? Yeah, um, he has a, a lot of really interesting um, and and really well-researched kind of information about education policy and politics in Florida. He's a, as you said, a former school board member himself and, and also uh, an education journalist who now writes about this full time. Um, And he has argued that what, what he calls the Florida model, um, which Mm -hmm. is this sort of three part kind of mix of high stakes testing, school grading or school accountability measures and um, a push for for school choice for bar ch- uh, for charters and 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 vouchers. Um, he says that this is actually um, nowhere near as popular uh, as you know people who have bought into the the bipartisan reform education agenda believe that it is. Um, you know he has pointed out he did a bunch of digging and found that in Florida, um, you know at the local level when uh, increasing school Funding for public schools has has gone up for a vote. It has not failed, even in the reddest districts in oh, Florida, okay. in close to a decade. That even in you know the heart of Trump country, people you know they they like their public schools for what it does for their children, but also for for the role that it plays in their community. You know, he talked about it. You know, people mm-hmm. people want to go to football games. People mm-hmm. want to. Um, you know, rally around the school in various ways. So there is this support for public education. um, And he said, you know, that many of these very conservative people, they do not want um, to be left with the option of going to these sort of crummy voucher schools any more than anybody else does um Mm -hmm. you know they do not see that as a good option for for their children either so he says you know somebody who runs kind of explicitly against this florida model um might find that they have kind of a a really surprising diverse coalition of support um and to, to add that i would i would also um reference some of the work of education journalist jennifer berkshire um who i also spoke to for this article and has done uh, an immense amount of really interesting work around this. Um, and, and, you know, she has, she had a great piece in The Nation a few weeks ago um, that was talking about how the label, the rhetoric of school choice has become so toxic 
that basically conservative organizations are having to run a national rebranding effort to figure out how they can sell this to people anew because people have started to realize like this is this is a bad bill of goods so perhaps perhaps this culture war anti-public education effort may not be the winning issue the right believes it is well we may find out uh november 2nd with the election of virginia because they really uh focused on that well thank you so much this is it's nice to end on a somewhat hopeful note because i do think people care about education and you know they want to root for the home team all the time and their their kids are in it if people want to read more of your stuff the new republic is the place to read it as well as your book the child catchers rescue trafficking and the new gospel of adoption thanks so much for being with us today and dare i say educating us Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Education is the key for betterment. In this modern time, in this modern time. Education is the key for betterment. Never you waste the time. Don't you waste the time. Education is the key for betterment. In this modern time, in this modern time. Education is the key for betterment. Just hold me your minds. Hold me your minds. Knowledge makes me old, it makes me stronger. Develops the intellect, it makes me wiser. More precious than the gold and the silver. Oh, I'm appealing to the youngsters, children. Never you waste your time and farm fool. Go ahead and learn the golden rule. Mama always said, I'm a beast of a like a mule. For education does not stop in other schools. Education is the key for betterment in this modern time, in this modern time. Time. Education is the key for betterment. Never waste the time, don't you waste the time. Education is the key for betterment in this modern time, in this modern time. Education is the key for betterment. Let's hold me your mind, hold me your mind, yo, yo. Education for you, education for me, educating people good society. Education for you and also for me, for me, for me. Education is the key for betterment in this modern time, in this modern time. Education is the key for betterment. Never you waste the time, don't you waste the time. Education is the key for betterment in this modern time, in this modern time. Education is the key for betterment. Let's open your minds, open your minds. And my sisters, education is the key in this modern system. Man can never stop learning, never stop striving. Oh, it's education I'm emphasizing. I say, read and examine for all things, and you see what good joy it brings. To gain more knowledge, how you have to spread your wings. Says the Minister of Education, the King of Kings. Education is the key for betterment in this modern time. In this modern time. Education is the key for betterment. Never you waste the time, don't you waste the time. Education is the key for betterment in this modern time, in this modern time. Education is the key for betterment. Just hold me your mind, hold me your mind. Knowledge makes me old, it makes me stronger. Develops the intellect, it makes me wiser. More precious than the gold and the silver. Oh, I'm appealing to the youngsters, children. 
Never you waste the time and farm food. Go ahead and learn the golden rule. Mama always said I would be stubborn like a mule. For education does not stop in other schools. Education is the key for betterment in this modern time. In this modern time. Keeping democracy alive. Twice a week, every week. Subscribe. Don't miss a single one. On the website, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.